it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is Cameron Dicker, the kicker, and you're listening to Player Profile. So we're sitting here pre-show of the future cast. And my man Andy is on the clock in the roster watch versus player profiler rookie mock draft series. We're in round four. Pick number nine. Andy Milnick from team player profiler. This is a one QB 12 team mock draft. Andy Milnick on the clock. Who are you taking in round four? Pick 45 overall. You know, I'm going to double down on my take from last week, Cody. I think I got to go Braylon Sanders out of Old Miss. Let's get some speed on my team. You know, right now the team's made up of Kyron Williams, Greg Dulcich, Sam Howell. I need some speed on the outside. I need some guys that are going to be, uh, you know, get me those those winning weeks in fantasy. So I'm going to take Braylon Sanders out of Old Miss. I like that selection. And as you were saying that, you're like, I got Sam Howell. You got the whole team now. You got one position. You got one player at every position. And now I'm looking from a full player profiler versus full roster watch standpoint let's do it like a two-minute recap of this so at the quarterback position we have you drafted sam howell aaron stewart drafted matt corral and ray ray drafted kenny pickett against the roster watch team of malik willis carson strong and desmond ritter i feel very confident with pickett howell and corral yourself yeah i'd agree with you there uh we've got the guys that have rushing upside and probably the more accurate passes out of the group. I mean, Carson Strong, there's no telling if it, he'll improve the deep field accuracy issues that we talked about during the Senior Bowl recap. But, yeah, I would take those three over Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, and uh, and uh, who's the last guy that they had? Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, and who's the third guy? Strong. Strong, yeah, Carson Strong, yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel very good where we're at. And then at running back, we, we're outpacing them. We have two more running backs than they do, and they have three more receivers than we do. But at tight end, I think, I mean, running back and wide receiver, you can kind of split hairs. We're both pretty talented there. But at tight end, man, Josh pulled Trey McBride early second round. We got Jalen Weidermeyer. Ray Ray picked him. And then you just grabbed Greg Dulcich in round three. Roster watch, the trash man grabbed uh, Jeremy Ruckert in round three. We have McGride, Weidermeyer, and Dulcich, number one, two, and three in the playerprofiler.com. Rookie rankings, you can go find those right now on Dynasty Deluxe or player rankings. Um, yeah, McBride, Weidermeyer, and Dulcich, and then Rucker. I feel very good about that. So thank you from a player profiler team perspective for grabbing Dulcich because I was excited to grab him. And, and you, you, you sniped me hypothetically four picks ahead of me, but – our team got him, so I'm happy. Yeah, but. no, it, like we needed another tight end that could move as well as Trey McBride did, just to make sure that they couldn't get him. Uh, having him and McBride on the same team, you know, player profile our team, I think is good for us as a whole. Because uh, I mean, you look at that. I think at like every position, I, I, 
with the exception of Brees Hall, which like you can't really control, right? I mean, I'm kind of down with our team over some of the folks that are on the roster watch team. I mean, if I look at the receiver position, right? We have player profiler has Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, you know, Jahan Dotson. We both like Christian Watson, right? And then some other folks in the later rounds, but through their first three or four rounds too, they've got Chris Olave, Jamison Williams. Okay, he's hurt. George Pickens, you know, shortened season due to coming back from injury. And David Bell, who's kind of a we don't really know who we don't really know what he is. It, we like David Bell, but then then they reach on Alec Pierce. It's just like when you look at it from our perspective, so we have Burks, Wilson, and London. If you go look at our rookie rankings, one, two, three, Burks, Wilson, London. You look at tight end, McBride, Whitermatter, Dulcich. You look at running back, you could say, all right, they have the upper hand there. They have Hall and Spiller who are one, two. But then we come in with Walker, Williams, Ford, White, Robinson. Like our depth surpasses what they have overall just having uh hollers so i mean I, again you're number two of this annual draft we're dominating roster watch again you can go follow roster watch all the guys over there alex byron and the trash man at roster watch on twitter um but yeah this is a a fun mock you can follow this along on the player profiler twitter account uh, my main man uh, uh aaron is making graphics for every single draft pick so you can go follow those along on the player profiler twitter page uh, but today we're going to be talking a little bit about the NFL Combine. And before we jump into that, make sure you click that like button if you like what you're listening to. Subscribe, and now click that join button. The join button right below this video on YouTube unlocks some very cool emojis, badges, and the ability to have your name highlighted in the chat. And once or twice a month, we're going to be doing an AMA where it's members only in the AMA. So you have to be a member in order to answer the ask the questions on YouTube. So click that join button and join the Underworld Army. Go do it now. But let's jump into the future cast episode number seven. All right. The biggest news this week, college football. We, we wanted this to change. This was like the big vote that was coming. It was like, what's going to happen with the college football playoffs? Is it going to stay four? Is it going to go to eight? There's rumors of 16, 12. You know, what's it going to be? I think everybody thought this is in writing. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to expand to something. But instead, what happens, Andy? What happened? Yeah, here's what happened, right? So I think we recorded on Thursday last week. So we missed this because I think it came out on Friday. Here's the deal. Back in June, there was a small subcommittee of these commissioners that make up the college football playoff that came up with the idea, a proposal to expand the playoff, right? The 12-team format. You'd have six conference champs getting in regardless of ranking. So, you know, you have a Big Ten champ with three losses. If they win, you know, they're in. Or a Pac-12 champion that has a couple more losses that may not be in the top 10. Whatever it is, you get... Six for conference spots for conference champions, and then you have, I believe, six at-large bids that are determined by the CFP committee. And the first-round games, this is the sick part to me, the first-round games would be played uh, at the higher-seeded campus, their their stadium, which is like the whole point of college football is, is the atmosphere of the home field advantage. And then the first four teams would have, uh, you know, first-round buys. So... Basically, they came up with this in June. It got leaked that that was what they were going to propose. And I think everyone, including myself, took that story to mean, okay, well, this is just, this is the way it is. They're going to come together in January and just basically iron out some of the details, rubber stamp it, good to go. 
That did end up being the case. Uh, there was a vote between the, uh, I believe, 10 commissioners of the five FBS or the 10 FBS conferences and then the AD from uh, Notre Dame. The vote ended up being eight to three. So they ended up not agreeing to expand the playoff to 12, which means that we will have a four team playoff until 2026, which is when the contract wears out. Now, the shitty part about this, right, is you look at the different conferences that voted no, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, their worry is about how to split up money coming from the Rose Bowl, which it's shitty. Money over, you know, allowing more players yeah. and more teams in this, more parity. But I get it. The ACC, I, I don't understand their rationale behind not wanting more teams. Their, their conference has always been one of the weaker conferences. So getting more teams in, getting more notoriety for their conference, which would draw in more money and viewership to their conference, just makes more sense. I don't I don't understand it. So them bending the knee to to Clemson, it, it just it pisses me off and makes me really frustrated, really annoyed as a fan of college football. Uh, because if you expand these playoffs, think about it. Now you got more players going to different schools other than just Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia now. Now they're spreading out because everyone's got a higher chance to get into the playoff and actually succeed. And to everyone out there who's going to tell me, no, this isn't a good thing for college football, the NFL just did this. And we just saw a 60 go into Lambeau after barely pulling it out against the Cowboys and beat Green Bay at Green Bay and then end up going to the conference championship. So you can't tell me that more teams is better than less teams. You can't tell me that more parity is better than less parity. It, it just... It blows my mind that we're still here in 2022 and we still can't figure out how to fucking explain this thing. It just drives me nuts. End the rant. That's it. So, so there's this 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 picture that I saw a while ago. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna share it on the screen right now. Um, let's see if I can pop it up full screen. So if you're if you're watching on YouTube, you can see this massive picture, and I don't know if you can read it or not, but you can see this is from 2020, and this is a projected 2014 playoff, and this is like. The mega fans dream is this 2014 playoff where you have LSU's the number one seed. And obviously you see all these teams are hosting games. I want to know, and this is like, you know, this is a very basic way of explaining it. What the hell? The first three games of the season, you know, most times the first three, first four games of the season are non-conference. So why would we not maybe cut that down to one non-conference? Okay, so Bama's going to play Norfolk State week one, and they're going to beat them 69-0. Okay, Alabama's ready to play football. That's all you need to see. You're going to get, you know, Minnesota against San Diego State. You're going to get a bunch of this Fugazi that you don't really care to watch, that nobody watches. And then you're going to get the conference play. So why not play one game and then have your 9 or 10 conference games, shorten the season by a couple games, and then you play this 24. This is obviously a hypothetical. How awesome would it be to have a 2014 playoff where you play 10 games and then playoffs start right now. Your 11th game would be round one. So Iowa hosts Memphis, whatever. And then LSU's first game would be that next week. Boom. 12 and then by the end of it it's the same length that's what i'm talking about like if hypothetically if iowa played 10 games this is number 11 12 13 14 games in a regular season it's just like to me how does that not make money sense like you're like all right you're still going to host the game the only difference is this game is going to be more high profile if you deserve it 10 games is a great sample size all right if toledo goes 10 and 0 they're probably going to be in the top 24 like 
10 games is plenty to figure out who's who. Am I wrong here? Like how, how, how do people not come out of their old ways and like, all right, dude, we went from the BCS. We realized that wasn't the system. Now we got four teams. All right. We've done this for four or five years. All right. Now we should probably do this. Instead, we're going to be stuck with this shit for 10 years of having just four teams. And it's like, it's going to be, it's going to be year after year after year of dramatic shit on, on Tuesday nights. They're going to have this primetime ESPN show and with Kirk Herbstreit and all this bullshit explaining why, you know, George is the five seed and they're going to miss the playoffs. And then by the end of the whole ordeal, George is going to be the number one seed. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And you, like you said, the money thing, the money side of it is like, all right, money's money, but you're literally fighting, you know, you're picking up nickels, walking over dimes, whatever the saying is, right? Like, like, you're booking these games where you have to pay Tulsa a million dollars to come play you. Cut those games out. Cut those games out of the season, those first three weeks. Play one warm-up. Play your regular season, your 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 divisional games. And then it, it just drives me fucking nuts, dude. Yeah, and, and, and standardize the scheduling of these teams throughout the whole season, right? How annoying is it when every single year the CFP committee comes out and says, the games later in the year matter more than the games at the beginning of the year. Sick. That means the, the, the long-standing rivalry between Alabama and New Mexico State that occurs every year in the third week of November is just the epic showdown we're all looking for that is the is the bright spot on Alabama's resume. It just drives you bananas when you hear people talk like that. And if you expanded these playoffs, like your scenario you showed on the screen, right? How many opt-outs, how many people are going to not opt out, right, that would have opted out of those games because it's the, you know, whatever random bowl game they're in instead? How many people are going to stick in college for another extra game, another two games, three games, depending on how far their team goes, to actually play and up their draft stock, right? It just, it cures a lot of these problems, and but it doesn't make a lot of sense why there's still this concern or, or, or uncertainty around, you know, uh, why the ACC is this is this big proponent against not wanting to have it expanded? It makes no sense to me. I don't I don't get it. And and I, we can we can wrap this little conversation up. But I think what you just said is why is the SEC hated? Why is the ACC hated? Because they know they dominate the whole thing. And when you walk in and you're like, all right, Georgia and Bama just played national championship. SEC SEC they got the whole game by the nuts and. It's just the way it is, unfortunately. But like, I didn't even think of the 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 prospect thing going to the NFL draft until you just said it. But like, again, you, you, these teams are playing 12, 13 games generally. Then you got the extra the 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 division championship, the conference championship, and then you got the playoff. You play ten games, and then instead of a month off, you just roll. You know, you get a bye week, and then you roll into this big tournament. Guys aren't gonna take that big, but because the game, the season is gonna be over by the first week of of January, and there's it's just, I don't know, it's just too, it makes too much sense, not to do it, but, um, just very unfortunate that they couldn't come to terms. So through tw- the official data is through 2026, which is four more years, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, that we will be sitting with a four team playoff in college football. Today's show, I really wanted to emphasize the NFL Combine. That starts next Monday. It's going to run all week into the weekend. It's going to be like an eight-day ordeal. 
We want to talk about some of the guys, a lot of guys that we have not talked about before, that your favorite analysts have not talked about before, and guys that could potentially do something at all in the combine. You know, when you hear their name and you go, "Well, who the hell is uh, is Letty Brown? Who the hell is uh, Josh Johnson?" We want you to be like, "Oh, that's right, Tulsa running back." Okay, boom. We want you to do that. So for the next 20, 30 minutes, we're going to chat about about 10 guys in the NFL Combine that their names are not mainstream, but maybe they should be. Um, I know you want to talk about Josh Johnson, a wide receiver from Tulsa. What do you What do you got on him? Yeah, so Josh Johnson, just looking over some of his tape, right, and looking over some of the stats here, uh, you compare him to some of the other guys that we got on our list here of folks that don't really get a lot of shine or haven't been talked about a lot. He's a stretch receiver. Uh and at 13 yards per reception, he's he's only 171 pounds, though. So he's very slight, right? Tall, slender kid, catches a lot of deep passes, catches a lot of deep outs, that sort of thing. The, the problem with him is that if you like Josh Johnson out of Tulsa, then why not pay a little more for the luxury brand version of him in Jalen Naylor out of Michigan State? who did practically the same thing, the same skill set, right? Obviously doesn't have the production numbers as high as as uh, Josh Johnson did because they have Kenneth Walker on the team and they're running the ball. But with 20 pounds heavier, you know, 190, who does the exact same thing, stretch receiver, if they measure out practically the same, why wouldn't you want the bigger guy out of the two that has the better hands played against harder competition? So that's... That's my take on those two guys that we have that we haven't really talked about a lot. Stretch receivers that will probably press with the combine with some good fast line speed, but I don't I don't know if there's any more of that to talk about those two. So Josh Johnson is an interesting one because he's 5'11", 170, like you said. He's built just like Devonta Smith, a little bit shorter, and he actually went to Iowa State out of high school and then didn't do a damn thing, and they transferred to Tulsa back-to-back 400-plus yard seasons, and then this year's senior 82 receptions, 1,087 yards, and six touchdowns, and he gets the invite to the East-West Shrine game. And I, I've li- I listened to quite a few podcasts, and I was listening to one, and they said that they talked to Pittsburgh Steelers executives. And when they said, what do you think about this Josh Johnson guy? The Pittsburgh execs said, that's Antonio Brown. That's exactly what he was coming out of Central Michigan. The wiggle, the burst, and the speed. That's Antonio Brown. That's what he was before he was Antonio Brown. That's exactly the prospect he was. And again, we can't look at that and be like, that's A.B., that's booming. Because that's what that's not what A.B. was when he came out of Central Michigan, right? He was he was nice, but he wasn't the special, the special prospect that, that made people go, oh, he should be a round one talent, right? He went round six, pick 195. He had 1,000, 998, 1,100. Like, he was a solid prospect, but he was overlooked because he was short, he's undersized, etc. And that's what, supposedly, these Pittsburgh executives said about Josh Johnson from Tulsa. So it's definitely a guy we want to keep an eye on and just kind of see how crisp his route running is, how fast he is at the combine, things like that. Uh, but it's just a guy that I, I will be keeping my eye open on. Um Let's move on to Jalen. You mentioned Jalen Naylor already from Michigan State. Let's move on to the running back position. Uh, how about Tristan Ebner from Baylor? Uh, that's uh, the counterpart to Abram Smith, a guy that you really like. Did you see much Tristan Ebner while watching the Abram Smith film? Yeah, I watched in the couple of films that I saw or a couple of games that I saw while watching film. 
as you saw, Abram Smith needed breaks on long drives. They needed someone to catch passes. They usually called on Tristan Ebner, and he ran from the slot. He ran out of the backfield. Um, he was kind of a guy that is kind of their pass catching back. But it, it's interesting is that he's 5'11", 215. So he's, he's, he's bigger than your typical frame for your pass catching specialist. Um, he also returned kicks, punts, and, and, and had carries as well as, like I said, catching passes while Abram Smith is there. So he's got good burst. Um, on film, you see him kind of almost get caught by a lot of guys, and he able, is able to burst out, out of the first tackle, but then can't really run away from the defenders for a long period of time. Uh, I think with special teams production, he'll find a way onto a team. And I think, it's, I think that's kind of the theme with the running back class as a whole this year, is that if you're not one of the top maybe four or five guys with a ton of production in both aspects of your game – and you don't come from a top program that's going to give you a lot of draft capital, then you got to show that you had special teams production because there's a ton of dudes that all kind of feel like they're mushed in this giant tier of just, I don't know if they're going to be good or not. I think, I think you hit that one right on the head. And I think it's just a really interesting one that, like you said, 215 pounds, can be 220. He runs for 799 yards. What's he going to do? Again, 20 plus receptions, all five seasons at Baylor. How's he going to run at the combine? But a guy that I know you're very interested in, and the comp inside the class, so internal comps from this class, uh, from a guy that we have talked about in Damian Pierce, is Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. From Rutgers, same size as Damian Pierce. And the stat lines, 500 plus, 700, 500 plus, 600, all four seasons at Rutgers. Then you look at the ESPN recruiting. He runs a 4.59 out of high school. Three stars. He had other offers. Uh, I didn't do a lot of research on this guy. Am I missing something with Isaiah Pacheco? Pacheco? Yeah, Isaiah Pacheco. He's he's a very fast straight line runner. Um, good wiggle, great burst. I think to me, as I kind of watched him and listened to some of the stories about him, his whole reasoning for staying at Rutgers as opposed to going to one of the other programs that were offered him was he wanted to stick close to home, um, had a couple of family members pass away while he was in high school that were really close to him. So he felt it more important to stay home and play for Rutgers because that was kind of the school that they, the local school they rooted for, right, as a family. Stays home, plays for them because he's from New Jersey. Uh, was, I mean, stats don't really jump off the page here, but I'm getting like Bo Melton vibes from him, right? So, I mean, you went to the Senior Bowl, you saw Bo Melton live. His play on the field didn't reflect his stats sheet, right? And I kind of get the same vibe from Isaiah Pacheco is that maybe this is just a guy that didn't have the phenomenal stats to jump off the page to us because, like, it's Rutgers. You know what I mean? It's not it's not Penn State. It's not Michigan State. It's not Michigan. It's it's Rutgers. So, interesting prospect. Um the hard part, again, is that it makes him a black box prospect, which adds a lot of risk to his profile. If you're willing to take a, a risk on somebody, you could do worse. But I'd like to see how he runs the combine. So ESPN had him as 193 pounds coming out of high school, and they had his testing numbers at a 4.59 40-yard dash, again at 193 pounds. Pretty solid shuttle, not a bad vertical jump of 32 inches. It would be very interesting to see if he comes in at this 215 projected weight at the combine. Because if he does, he comes in at 215 pounds. Eh, he's probably not going to run that 4'4". But if he comes in at that 205 range, 
we could be looking at a Kenny and Wang Yu situation from 2020. One where this guy just shows up, he runs a four threes, and you're like, what the? Who the who's that guy? Yeah. And again, like we just said, 500, 700, 500, 600. Like you don't fall into 2,400 rushing yards in four seasons at the Division One level by not being decent at, at you know at least. And and again, like we said, it's Rutgers. Even if you go back to his freshman season, 348 re- return yards on 18 attempts. So he, he can do it. He's an athlete. Um, I just want to see how he comes in. If he comes, he could potentially be that Kenny and Wangu guy that just kind of elevates his draft stock at the combine. They go, this guy has potential. This is that, you know, you look at the other side of the ball, it's that uh, that uh, Daniil Hunter, that Jason Away type, where it's just like very raw, but we think we can teach him. Um, again, I like that. Another guy that I thought was very interesting in this class who's been getting a little more discussion but still not very much is, is this Tyrion Davis-Price from LSU who last year had 104 carries, 446 rushing yards. He split carries with John Emery Jr., the five-star prospect that's at LSU. And then this year, Emery steps away from the team. He has some disciplinary issues. And Davis-Price takes on the whole workload as a junior, 211 attempts, 1,000 rushing yards, six touchdowns, only 10 receptions. But again, he's coming out as a junior from LSU, 1,000 yards, 446, 295 the last three seasons. This guy's 6'1", 232 pounds. Tyrion Davis-Price is. I'm really, really interested to see, does he come in at 232 pounds? Does he run a 485? Like, what are we what are we going to see from this guy? And then I pull up ESPN, which is my go-to for, for the high school uh, recruiting, right? He's a four-star prospect. He's an Under Armour. He's a U.S. Army All-American. He goes to the opening, and he runs a 4.53 at the opening at 227 pounds out of high school. So I think Tyrion Davis-Price is a guy that can come to the combine. And if he runs, you know, 4.49, 4.55, whatever it may be, depending on how the whole program went at LSU, if he runs in that 4.49, 4.53 area at 230 pounds, we're talking about a big-time speed score here from Tyrion Davis. Do you, do you have any thoughts on Tyrion? He had, he had a Bama offer, Auburn, he goes to LSU. Yeah, he had a lot of offers, and I think he got enamored with the 2019 LSU team, right? Or the 2018 LSU team that made the jump to then become a 2019 LSU team, right? That went went on to win the national championship because it just it seems, it seems weird that, and I think because he improves his game, right, you have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire there. We all know how he kind of turned out in the NFL so far. Not the book is closed on him yet, but um, your only concern there is that you let a guy like that kind of keep you off the field as a freshman if he were really that that skilled. Uh, but I know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is more of a pass-catching kind of specialist in, in college than he was kind of a pure runner. It, this guy looks like an absolute tank on film, though. I mean, he's like... He's making it past the defensive line and then absolutely just trucking people over. So I think he's, I think he's fine. But the lack of pass catching for me, and I'm looking at the stats right here. No, no special teams work either. I don't know. Let's see how he does at the combine. I mean, a thousand yards as a junior. He's coming out. I think he know. I mean, John Emery's going back there. Um, so I think he knew, like, hey, it's my time to go to get out. Um, I haven't seen a lot of NFL mocks going in, in the top four rounds on Tyrion Davis. I think he's probably going to be a fifth, sixth round type of guy. But again, if he if he hits four five zero, for example, at two hundred thirty pounds, we're going to be sitting very happy. He's going to be coming in just like 
a, a slight A.J. Dillon, obviously not the college dominance at all, but that's kind of the range of type of guy you're looking at with Tyrion Davis. How about we move on to another running back that's labeled at 216 pounds, nothing new. This whole class, like we talked about before, is between that 215, 225-pound range, and that's Letty Brown out of West Virginia, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons with 30-plus receptions. You take a look at this Letty Brown guy from West Virginia. Yeah, Letty Brown. So this is where the weird part about Letty Brown is that the stats and the film kind of don't match. And what I mean by that is, you're right, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, can catch the ball, have special teams uh, production, sustained production over multiple years, power five school, decent size, good speed. His, But his film, he just looks not like the player that records those numbers. He just doesn't look very fluid, very... I, I don't know how to describe it. I think that's what's souring a lot of people on on Letty Brown is that they see the stats like, dude, this guy must be just an absolute monster. They turn on the film and he kind of looks okay or like average. So if people are willing to say, okay, maybe it's just the game that he was in or whatever like that, then, then you kind of throw it out. But he just looks... It just looks weird on to watch him play sometimes. It just looks like on net, like the position is just not a natural fit for him. I don't, I don't know how to really describe it. Do you know what I mean though? Like the two yeah, don't just match. A, he's just an opportunity guy that they just push out there because he's he's brute that can that can take the load. He he ran a four eight coming out of high school at two hundred nine pounds. He's now pushing two twenty, um, and a four year player at West Virginia where you know ten plus carries week in and week out over the course of all four seasons. Um, I think it's just a guy that they could lean on. Like, again, I said it before, is you don't just fall into 2,500-plus yards on 600 carries. Like, he's got that work. And it just kind of reminds me of a guy like like a Toby Gerhardt, right? Toby Gerhardt wasn't special, but he was just pushed up because the, the workload was there, the opportunity was there, and he got it. And I think that's maybe why Letty Brown isn't getting pushed up in the NFL draft circles is because he's just a guy, just a guy, and he's not going to run fast, but he's going to be a guy that can – can do it 86 receptions in four years like he's all right do i think he makes a team probably makes a team as long as he doesn't run a four eight again uh but letty brown's just a guy that you need to keep your eye on because back-to-back thousand yard seasons is no joke and if he comes in 216 and he we saw justin jefferson you know a couple years ago run a four eight eight out of high school and then run a four 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 at the nfl combine so this guy comes in at four eight three and he runs a four five it's a different conversation back-to-back thousand yard seasons 30-plus receptions at West Virginia. Again, like this Damian Pierce thing we talked about a couple weeks ago was Pierce looked like shit on film, right? Like a pigeon-toed. He didn't run through tacklers. Like he didn't do anything. Right. He wasn't fast, choppy. And then we go to the Senior Bowl, talk to him, watch him there. It's it's just a different ball game. So very interested to see just kind of how his body shape comes in. Like, again, sometimes sometimes film lies. And so if we connect the two, if he runs a 4-7, well, then we'll just ax him and he'll be out of the list. But uh, it's a, just a, just an interesting prospect that we need to know his name. Um, let's bump over to Jalen Warren. Guy's been at three schools in five years. Uh, Juco guy, Utah State, finally at Oklahoma State. He had 1,200 rushing yards in 2021 for Oklahoma State on 250 carries, 25 receptions. 5'8", so he's a little guy in comparison to these all these 5'11", 6-footers, but he's 215 pounds. Per usual, like we've said 10 times before now. Everybody's coming in here. Um, he did not have a scouting grade on ESPN. Um, I'm not sure about 
247 Sports. I don't really use them. I'm going to jump on there quick. Do you have anything on Jalen? Three-star prospect. There you go. Three-star prospect. Jalen Warren. So I think it was I – heard, I heard about it on uh, another podcast. I think the one with uh, Noah Hill, who did some of our writing for the Breakout Finder at Noah Moore Parties on Twitter. And what he talked about as he, as he jumped into Jalen Warren is that Jalen Warren apparently didn't have the grades to make it at – a power five school. So he goes to community college, jumps over to Utah state for, I think a year or two years, and then transfers to Oklahoma state for this historical year that they've had where they almost won the big 12 championship. Um, he's, he's okay. I don't, I don't know if he's particularly efficient, but like you said, he's a little smaller, little heavier kind of brick, brick shit house type of guy. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he performs too. I don't know if he'll have the crazy burst, but he might have the hands um, and the explosive explosiveness that we, we want to see out of a running back that small. Yeah. I don't really have much on him other than that. Like it, it's just a, one of those guys that it feels like a roster clog, a roster filler for this NFL combine, just to throw a guy in there, Oklahoma state, give him an opportunity. Um, but there's this other guy I want to talk about. We, we, we went through all the running backs we're going to discuss today. Um, I want to talk about EJ Perry. Uh, because you've laughed at Derek King. Obviously, I was a Derek King fan. Whatever, going through the whole process. We've talked about all these other quarterbacks, Skylar Thompson, uh, Cole Kelly, Dustin Crum, Caleb Ellaby. But there's another guy, EJ Perry from Brown University. This guy went to Boston College out of high school for one year. Uh, didn't really do a damn thing at Boston College. And he transfers to Brown and becomes the starter and he was a FCS preseason All-American, Phil Steele's preseason Ivy League Offensive Player of the Year, and he was named a special a semifinalist for the William V. Campbell Trophy um, in 2020, led the nation in total offense at Brown in 2019. This E.J. Perry, should we, I mean, I'm not going to even, I don't, I don't really want to do it. I, you know what, he's, he's an interesting guy to watch because, again, these smaller school dudes, right, E.J. Perry, Bailey Zappi, uh, you know, I mean, Malik Willis, obviously, but we all know about him at this point, right? Caleb Ellaby, these dudes that come from these smaller schools or these non-Power 5 schools, it's interesting to see how they perform amongst their peers, right? That's why we like the Senior Bowl. That's why we wanted to watch Bailey Zappi there, right? I'm interested to see, I'll keep an eye out open for E.J. Perry because there could be a chance, you know, that he was overlooked by by college scouts that he was this, this guy that could have done something. And maybe the, the coach at Boston college didn't know how to use him correctly in the system that they were implementing there. Um, Brown is close to, to Boston college. Uh, I don't remember exactly where it is, but it's somewhere up there in the Northeast. So maybe he wanted to stick nearby and so transferring to a different school that, that wouldn't offer him. You really don't know what goes through some of these guys' brains, but I'm going to keep an eye open for him because there could be, he could be the one diamond in the rough out of the group of these guys that we're expecting to not make it. It it is an interesting thing because like Boston college is where he enrolled, but he had offers from Brown, Bryant, Columbia, and Dartmouth. That was his other four offers. And they're all Ivy leaguers, obviously. So he goes to Boston college, he leaves, he goes to Brown. And then he, he just like some very weird game logs. uh, While at Brown games where he had 60 attempts, 300 yards, 300 yards every single week, never eclipsed four. Uh, but he scored, you know, two plus touchdowns every single week. And then you scroll over to the rushing, 
16 carries for 80 yards on the ground, 16 carries for 80 yards on the ground, 14 carries for 66 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, two touchdowns, one touchdown, rushing long of 56, long of 22, 17, 17. Like, maybe there's something here. There's, there is, when, when I'm telling you, you go out on the internet and you're trying to find, you know, projected speed data, uh, you know, what's this guy going to run? There's nothing on this EJ Perry guy. Uh, from Brown University, so I'm very interested to see. Like you said, maybe he's, maybe he's in that Bailey Zappi tier. Maybe he's ahead of Caleb Ellaby. That's why the combine happens? This guy comes in and he's this hyper athlete. Just randomly, we'll see. We'll see. He he might also just be like a Zach Taylor, where he comes in and he saw that video floating around Twitter the other day, where <laughs> Zach Taylor was at the combine. You know, whatever, eight nine years ago, and he's just like. Holy shit, man! What what on earth is that? Um, but is there any other quarterbacks you want to talk about, or is that is that all? No, that, that you... that's probably it. I mean, it, you know, we could touch on Brock Purdy, but I don't want to. I mean, he's going to be okay. Skylar Thompson's going to be okay. There are be guys that are going to be their backups, so they're not going to be drafted at all. Um, and we probably probably won't hear about them again. So now that I said that, they'll probably both end up being all pros and all American all pros, you know, pro bowl this year coming out as rookies and stuff like that. So I've already jinxed myself that way. So there you go there. Congratulations, Brock Purdy. Congratulations, Skylar Thompson. That's awesome. So let's jump into, we'll stop right now. We do an underdog fantasy.com. Go over to underdog fantasy.com right now. Use that promo code underworld. Get yourself up to a hundred dollar deposit match bonus. I'm in the drafts right now on the big board on underdog fantasy. And I tell you what, when I tell you like rookie sophomores, this is not a rookie sophomore draft, but I have a couple teams in here that are the definition of rookie sophomore. I'm trying to pull it up right now. The oldest player on my team, when I tell you this, is Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is the oldest player on this roster. Quarterback, I got Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. Running back, we got Saquon Barkley, Travis Etienne, Kyron Williams, Rashad White. And at receiver, you know we got all the studs. Jamar Chase, Michael Pibbin, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, etc. Kyle Pitts. We're throwing all the darts at these young guys. And if you go back last week in the Roto Underworld feed, wherever you get podcast, the code breaker dropped last Saturday from Josh Larkey, and he talks about the values about these wide receivers, especially in the Underdog Fantasy drafts. Go listen to that podcast, then go to underdogfantasy.com, deposit 100 bucks, jump in 10, do it, jump in 10 slow drafts on the big board on underdogfantasy.com today and start drafting these rookies because the values, like we talked about last week, from last week on through the end of March, the values are going to be ridiculous for all of these rookies. And the line is only going to start to grow next week when these guys go to the combine. They run four fours, they run four threes, and they 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 show out at the combine. That's when the values are going to start going, oh, shit, this guy's actually good. And then they're going to get drafted, and you're going to lose all the value. So go jump on Underdog Fantasy today, use the promo code Underworld, and get in these drafts and collect that free value. Now, to some more wide receivers like we just talked about. Is there anybody that you really want to talk about in this wide receiver room that we haven't yet? Uh, as I look down the list here, uh, one guy that, that kind of jumps off the screen to me, so actually two guys that I'll talk about here. The first one is going to be Isaiah Weston out of Northern Iowa. So I, I will admit I did not watch a lot of FCS football this past year or over the past five years because this is how many years it's taking for Isaiah Weston to finally come out, right? He, he'll he be he'll be 
out of college for he'll be in college for what five years before he comes out or six years even. He's an FCS guy, goes to Northern Iowa, invited to the combine, has a like really kind of prototypical NFL receiver size. He's 6'4, 210. So he can definitely like make it in terms of his size and his speed. It just it's interesting to see him coming out because it took him so long to break out. Um had a couple of years where he just straight up had injuries or he was redshirting. So he's a black box prospect that has drawn some attention for me. Um, and as I kind of did my film analysis on him too, to see just, okay, what is this guy about, right? He put up five for 181 and one touchdown against North Dakota State, which again, you know all about them, right? Being from the, the Minnesota area, you know that they're a powerhouse school with a really good defense and a really good offense that perennially makes the uh, FCS championship game and wins it. So when I saw that, I kind of popped off the screen and be like, okay, well, this guy can put up numbers against the best team at his level. And so I don't know what – I'm confused. I don't necessarily know if he's going to be amazing or not. But he's a guy that I'm going to keep my eye out for because like Christian Watts and these guys, sometimes they come in small, slow, and they just that, – that puberty level in college where you get, right? You got a lifting coach now. You're eating right. You're getting the football program. You grow into the person you're supposed to be. He's someone that I want to keep an eye out for, for real, for sure. So this is a guy that grew up in Elbertville, Minnesota, uh, which is you know two hours away from where uh, Adam Thielen went to school in Detroit Lakes, two hours north of where I grew up. He went to STMA, a wrestling powerhouse. This guy played DN. He played wide receiver, 6'4", 190 out of high school. And now, like you said, get into that program. He's now 6'4", 210. Who else is in the uh Missouri Valley Conference, that's 6'4", 210, Christian Watson, the guy you just alluded to. So that's Isaiah Weston's competition, right? Weston's a three-star prospect from 247, uh, which is impressive. Christian Watson comes in, same thing, 6'4", 210, North Dakota State. Like you said, again, 5 for 181 and a touchdown against North Dakota State, 4 for 125, a touchdown against South Dakota State, 5 for 142 against Illinois State. Those are his three biggest games on the season outside of the Iowa State game uh, week one. But... Those are his three biggest games, and he showed up for all of them, and, and he helped you and I, you know, make a game out of it. So I'm really interested in Weston from a standpoint of, again, like we talked about before, what's he going to do as an athlete? He's probably going to be a guy, if I had to guess, that's going to stay in the Midwest. It's just one of those guys. He's probably going to go undrafted. He's going to stay in the Midwest. He's going to get a workout with the Vikings, the Bears, the Packers. It's what really usually happens to these Midwest guys, especially. Being from Minnesota, it's just something you see a lot. You see a lot of these guys that, and it started with Thielen, obviously, and then they branch out. They get these opportunities. They come in for the the rookie uh, rookie camp. So obviously, they draft eight guys. The eight rookies go to the rookie camp, and then you get a boatload of guys that are undrafted. They just come in for camps. And Weston is a guy that's going to go in for a camp, and he's going to have to earn his spot, just like Adam Thielen did. Uh, and that's just kind of how you're going to see it. But he did earn. Uh, at Phil Steele's FCS All-Mountain Valley second-team offense honors. Uh, he was all-conference second-team offense honors, and he did play in the NFL PA Bowl in uh, California this past season. But Weston, like you said, 1,000 yards receiving as a senior, uh, 1,880 yards, sorry, 1,000 yards as a sophomore, 880 yards as a senior, and then obviously they had the COVID year last year. So Weston's an interesting guy, but is he going to get drafted? Uh, no. He ain't, he ain't going to get drafted. 
but a guy that might get drafted is a wide receiver out of Notre Dame. And if he does get drafted, it's because of that Notre Dame helmet, I'm afraid. He didn't do a damn thing all the way through until his senior year, 2021. 48 receptions, 888 yards, and seven touchdowns. That's Kevin Austin out of Notre Dame, six foot two, 215 pounds. Um, th- there's not really a ton here. Uh, he was an all-independent first-team honor in 2021. Um, he had a couple nice games against Florida State. Uh, he had his career-high 91 receiving yards, four catches. It's just a guy that you're going to see get an opportunity. Uh, but, again, I'm not excited about these guys. Not excited. Yeah. No, Kevin Austin, another guy that kind of hampered by by injuries, right? And that's kind of a theme with this 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 guy, Kevin Austin, and the next guy that we're going to talk about, uh, Devin Williams, right, out of Oregon. Another guy who had a couple of seasons cut short by injuries, just like Kevin Austin did. That's why you saw Kevin Austin only put up the one year of production, right, at, at Notre Dame. Back to Devin Williams here for a second. So here's a guy that... You can make a spin zone for whichever way you want, right? If you want to be positive or negative, you could say, hey, he was at USC for a couple of years and didn't break out because he was playing alongside Velas Jones Jr., who ended up transferring to Tennessee. We talked about him before. Uh, he played alongside Amara St. Brown. Obviously, he had a breakout season this past year. And Michael Pittman, who we all like at playerprofiler.com. And you could say, okay, well, who is going to be able to break out against those those receivers when that's your competition, right? So he transfers to Oregon. Again, injuries kind of derail some of his years. Has one major year of production. But the flip side of that is that, hey, he still led the team in receiving yards even though he played four less games than the next best receiver. So still led the team in receiving yards, played four less games, productive was a highly touted recruit. I think he was the number 40th uh, rank in the nation, I believe. Um, Number six in California in terms of receivers, number six receivers as a whole. So he was a top prospect coming out of high school. Um, It just seems that like he wasn't able to cut it against a top tier competition. So again, I'm not really sure what to make of him. Um, He's 6'5", so he's probably going to get a lot of attention for that. Uh, caught a lot of 50-50 balls, but I don't know. Do you have a take on Dev- uh, Devin Williams? Not not entirely. He was an un- uh, Under Armour All-American. He went to the opening. He didn't run anything. But, again, that USC offer, four stars, 89 scouting grade, makes you think of like that upset. Like he had Bama offers. He had Florida State. He had Oregon. He goes to USC. And, like you just said, the same thing with Valus Jones, where he goes to USC and then he leaves. Obviously, we know the turmoil, the, the the ugliness of the USC situation over the last few years. But the weird thing is, 6'5", 205, can he be that big guy, deep threat? I've never seen a fourth-year sophomore before, but that's what he's labeled as, uh, a fourth-year sophomore. So uh, congratulations on that. You could probably eke out eight years if you wanted to. But he decided to come out. Um, I don't know, man. He came out at 190. Now he's 205. Did he add a little muscle? I don't know. Seems seems to me like he's going to be a guy that's like Isaiah uh, Hakeem Bustler are going to run a 4-7 and just kind of be a, a dud from one of these bigger schools. We have one receiver left on this list of guys that are underappreciated and under-talked about, maybe underappreciated for what that's worth. Makai Polk from Mississippi State. He did not start at Mississippi State. The trend here you're getting is these guys that are transferring out, going to different schools, they have one big season, and maybe they're an odd body type. 
Makai Polk was 174 and he was 6'3. The definition of a bean pole coming out of high school. A definition of a bean pole. 6'3, 174. Think about uh Devonta Smith and uh no, like no, you just can't. Anyways, he goes to California for a couple seasons. He's a third year sophomore. 105 receptions on 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns at Mississippi State. Very interesting to see that uh, from a transfer. Obviously, California doesn't do shit. And then he goes, so 19 receptions, 17 receptions at California, and then he transfers across the country to Mississippi State, and he goes for 105 after a COVID season. It's just really weird, but you have him listed at 200 pounds. Is this guy going to come in at 180? Is he going to come in at 200? Very interesting to see what happens with Makai. Yeah, there there are three things you got to know when you look at Makai Polk's production on the stat sheet, right? The first is that he went to California, which in Berkeley, they don't really focus on throwing the ball as much as they have before in the past. They are uh, kind of a run and try and slow you down, grind you down, good on defense or solid on defense, bend on break. Um, a lot of what you see at those schools, they can't really track top-tier talent because they've got high academic standards. Same kind of game plan there. So I get that. And then with the shortened season in 2020, I'm sure they probably pissed them off. They would have pissed me off too because the Pac-12 took forever to get started. So that would have annoyed me too. And then the third thing I would say is that when he transferred to Mississippi State, you need to remember that 2021 is when Mike Leach took over and he implemented the air raid at Mississippi State. So those numbers right there, 105 for 1046 and nine touchdowns, could be inflated by the offensive scheme that he was in at Mississippi State. He's force-fed. That's the point. He, he, 100% agree with you, but the my my, my thought is the, the, the fact that he was force-fed after a year of transferring is just, A, odd, but B, I agree with you. Uh, the the leech, leech, leech thing obviously helps him as a whole because somebody's got to get the ball and he just happens to be the guy that fit into that role. So that's all we got for quarterback, running back, wide receivers. We have three tight ends we want to talk about and we'll get the hell out of here and get to the NFL NFL combine. So I'm going to start out with a guy that had some off-field issues uh, prior to the 2020 season. This guy had some domestic violence things and it caused him to be suspended from Indiana. Um, he's a a truck, 6'4", 254, 622 receiving yards in 2019, four touchdowns, has a down COVID season, and then 543 and four touchdowns again in 2021. I thought he might come out after 2020. I think maybe he just wanted to go back to Indiana, prove that he was okay from a mental standpoint, kind of get over his situation that he went with off the field. I think that's really what's pushing him down. That guy would be Peyton Hendershot from Indiana. I like what he brings to the table. He he plays like an aggressive, like a Arizona Rob Gronkowski. I'm not giving him that comp. He plays like that style when I watch him on the field. So I'm interested to see how Hendershot is. He again, 215 pounds out of high school. Now he's up to 254. It's a lot of weight to put on, but if Hendershot is a sub athlete at best, we're going to be happy. Thoughts on these big tight ends? No, I was going to say the same thing about Peyton Hendershot. He's Again, the off-the-field issues definitely concern you, right? Or can probably concern a lot of the NFL teams, which is why he probably did go back to college again for that last year to show that he can handle himself now. Uh, but, 
Yeah, he just looks like an absolute beast. He plays really, really, really angry on the field. Um, and hopefully, you know, you hope for these guys to sort it out off the field and get it right between the ears. So we'll see if he shows out at the combine. Indiana is not a, a, you know, they had a couple of good years at off with offensive production, but the last couple of years they've been kind of meh. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how good he is when he goes to the combine for sure. So there are two guys left to talk about, and they're both eight-footers. And one of them, I know you like Charlie Kohler. Did you get to see much of this Chase Allen guy? Because I haven't watched a damn down of Chase Allen because I haven't got to my tight ends yet. Uh, I haven't really dove too deep into the tight ends. But Chase Allen, 6'7", 250. Have you looked at him while watching the other eight-footer, Charlie Kohler? Yeah, I did. It, and let me tell you this. So, like, it's it's hard to get – or it's easy to get lost in the shuffle there when Charlie Kohler is your starting tight end, right? But with them running Brees Hall all the time, you kind of need two massive tight ends. And college football reference has him listed at 6'7", 250. So he's a big dude, right? Big dude blocking for Brees Hall, opening up holds. He's going to have NFL teams gushing over his, his blocking ability, I think. Um, and he's not terrible – catching balls either i mean his senior season you're looking at what 26 for 284 and two so not a focal point of the offense by any means but reliable when you need him uh like i said there weren't any crazy games that stood out to you because again he's more of an inline tight end that blocks a lot um but nfl teams are going to find that valuable for sure do you like chase allen or austin allen more Oh, man. Okay, so this one was tough. I was thinking about these two before we hopped on, and... They're both eight foot tall, so... Yeah, yeah. I think for I think for me... Oh, boy. Uh... If I told you one of these guys was going to be Kyle Rudolph, and, or Donald Parham, if I told you one of these guys was going to be Donald Parham in two years, who would you bet on it being? I bet on it being probably Austin Allen out of Nebraska uh, more than Chase Allen. And my only concern there is that Austin Allen looks like he moves very fluidly on film. He's able to catch passes in the open field, make folks miss. Uh, but he's also a product of like a very terrible quarterback in Adrian Martinez, who's at Nebraska for what has felt like 15 years. So you're not going to have a lot of production when your quarterback is not very good. And your offense is, is, is constantly getting three and outs, three and outs, three and outs. He looks like he's the real deal. Um, so I'd be willing to bet on him more than a guy that, definitively was the number two in his program, but could become a guy that catches more passes over a guy that I see can catch passes and makes folks miss. That'll do it for us today. That was a strong episode, I think. Um, this drop, this episode will be dropping on Monday of NFL Combine Week. So hopefully this show brings some helpful uh, information to you while you're watching the NFL Combine this next week. Obviously starts on Monday, runs all the way through next Monday. Find Andy Milnick on Twitter at FFDataKing. You can find me on Twitter at CarpenterNFL. We'll be back with another episode of the FutureCast next week talking what happened at the NFL Combine, who ran the fastest 40, who benched 50 reps. Is somebody going to run 50 reps? Uh, who's the most impressive guy? Did EJ Perry break out? What all happened? But again, we appreciate you guys for listening through. Wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure to click that button. Give us a review. Give us five stars. Leave a comment. If you're on YouTube, leave a comment. Let us know if one of these guys you've dove into. Did you dive into EJ Perry? Did you dive into Austin Allen? 
what makes them special, what what makes them someone we should talk about even more. But anyways, until then, this is episode seven of the Future Cast. You can go follow the Future Cast on Twitter at the underscore Future Cast. I'm Cody. This is my man Andy. We'll see you. games out cut those games out of the season those first three weeks play one warm-up play your regular season your 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 divisional games and then it just drives me fucking nuts dude